Most people don't recognize that we've moved beyond the age of building another machine to the age of welcoming a digital sentient being into our lives, okay? And that basically positions you and I and everyone listening dead center in terms of the responsibility for becoming good parents to that being. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you're going to hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. Every week, I'm talking to thought leaders around the world who are knee-deep in their work tackling some of the world's most difficult problems, and still, they think the future is bright. So I've decided that we need to know what they know. We need to see what they see. We need to know about how they recommend we get around obstacles and find opportunities and setbacks. So I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles, a constellation of platforms that are aimed at shining a light on insight and innovation going uncelebrated. But we are here today to talk to an amazing person who can open up the world of technology and happiness and inspire us to live lives that are full of purpose and meaning with some fresh ideas about the big picture on how we go forward with artificial intelligence and uh, all kinds of interesting concepts. So Mo Gaudat is a former chief of business officer at Google X, and he hosts a podcast called Slow Mo, which I can't wait to dive into. And he's the author of a best-selling book called Solve for Happiness. And I think in just a matter of days, another book is coming out that I believe has the power to transform the way we all look at or reimagine how technology fits in our life. That book is called Scary Smart. And I think today we're going to marry a lot of concepts that that Mo wants to share with us in the way that he thinks can open a brighter future for us all. So welcome, Mo, to the Conspiracy Beginner podcast. Thank you for having me. Love the name of the podcast, love the mission. It's, uh, it's wonderful and I'm honored to be here. Well, I tell you, there is a, an enormous wave of goodness and progress happening in the world that almost no one knows about. And you're part of it. That's good. Yeah, I totally dove into your work and there was so much goosebump material there that I that resonated with the things I found in the last decade, really curating the internet for goodness and progress. So I probably did half the job on that introduction of you. Go ahead and tell us your story. Introduce us better to why you're here and what you've what you're uniquely built to contribute. Ah uniquely built to contribute. I wish I could find that out. I'm still discovering. I, I th- I've lived two very distinct lives, parallel uh, lives. One is uh, the life of the corporate executive, the successful businessman, the entrepreneur, and so on and so forth. You know, co-founded more than 20 companies in my life and, uh, you know, ended up at the top of the career ladder, if you want to. I was the chief business officer of Google X. A life that most of us sort of dream of and maybe envy, very enjoyable in many ways, and I was miserable. On the other hand, I had another life where 
I uh, was given and, you know, given generously by life you know, from money to cars to luxury to a beautiful wife who is wise and kind and loving that gave me two wonderful kids. And I was miserable. I was, uh, you know, I was unable to, to find my ways using any of that happiness. And so I searched, I, I tried to, to seek happiness like we all do, failure after failure, simply because my brain as a mathematician, physicist, engineer, executive, did not understand the concept, if you want, did, did not understand the language in which happiness literature was, was written. And so I ended up searching like an engineer aided by my wonderful son and mentor who was born a tiny little Zen monk and found something, found a very logical, almost mathematical way to reach happiness and applied it to my life, applied it to the lives of people or suggested it to the people that I love and it worked for them too. And then life sort of had to trigger me, if you want, to share it further when my son himself left. So he left our world, sadly, because of a preventable medical error. So he went for a very simple surgical operation, normally a five minutes operation. And the surgeon did five mistakes in a row. And then in four hours, my son was gone, which of course could lead to a collapse, especially of someone who believes, you know, that he can control life if you want. Sadly, in the executive landscape, that normally is the case. But for me, it led me to write his model down, write what he taught me, write what he dis we discovered together, which is the first book you mentioned, Solve for Happy. And Solve for Happy was an attempt from me to direct the energy of my grief, if you want, to spreading what I learned. Also, all, also honestly, to review what my teacher taught me, if you want. And uh, Soul for Happy became an international bestseller uh, almost everywhere. It launched 31 languages, uh, close to half a million uh, copies sold, and uh, you know became a sort of a, man a hand manual, if you want, for people who have an engineering mind like myself. Uh, a passage to start understanding happiness and spirituality and well-being and self-care and self-love and all of those important concepts, to understand them in your brain so that you can reach your heart which I think is the opposite of what normally the way those things are taught. They normally speak to your heart first and then you get the logic of them. And so my mission was to, to try and honestly, in, in a selfish way, to try and spread the essence of my wonderful son everywhere. So I basically told myself if I can reach a billion happy people, then somehow my, my son Ali would be everywhere and part of everyone. Part of that mission, of course, then uh, meant that I left Google. I dedicated my life and my resources to to try and spread that message of happiness. And then, you know, other projects started, like the podcast Slow Mo you heard of. And, uh, you know, now we have an app coming out next um, in Christmas, hopefully. Believe it, Christmas is the saddest day of the year. It seems a lot of cases of depression and suicide and so on. So we're publishing around Christmas and in an artificially intelligent app that sort of is your happiness assistant uh, called Appy. And then hopefully we, um, you know, more and more efforts. So books coming out, um, most important of which is Scary Smart, which is a wake up call if you want to what it's the, what it means to be humanity, uh, human in the in the age of the modern technology that we live in. A marvelous synopsis of the arc of time 
there. Oh, that's lovely. This is the way the life of a lot of thought leaders I've, I've interviewed goes, is that, you know, you must do that hard part. The yes. stuff that, yeah, it's just, there's no shortcut. It isn't. There isn't. And, 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 and honestly, for most of my wisest friends, which, you know, are normally guests on my wonderful, you know, on my wonderful conversations with them on my podcast, most of them will refer back to a point in time that was really difficult, uh, that triggered a, a change or a, you know, a, a wake, a wake up a call, if you want. But everyone looks back at that moment and says, but it's wonderful that it happened. It's wonderful that life cared enough about me to wake me up. I think that's a very interesting message when you think about it. This is the challenge. The, the, this is the challenge that we all face daily. It's, I, there's a great thought leader that we love at Everwedding Circles named Dr. Suikamar Rao. Mm -hmm. And he introduced our, my team at Everwedding Circles to this great concept, good thing, bad thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we take the, the, the events that happen to us and we give them a label so quick, yes. good or bad, yeah. 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 that we miss the message. We, we don't manage the meaning of these things. Talk to me about that a little bit. Well, I mean, uh, I, I do, in, in Solve for Happy, I have an experiment that I call the eraser test. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wrote Solve for Happy when I was still chief business officer of Google X. So, yeah, as you can imagine, the experiment was technology uh, influenced. So I, I basically said we invent, invented something at Google X that can pinpoint any event in your life in the past and go back in history and remove it. Not remove it from your memory, remove it from space time. And I, I, you know, I taught, I taught, I taught happiness maybe to 20,000 students in person in workshops and, and, and lectures and so on. And I ran the test with a majority of them. And I said, if I gave you that technology, uh, choose an event in the past and let me go back and erase it for you. Okay. And 99% of them would first pinpoint an event. And then as they start to talk to me about erasing it, I say, but hey, please understand, it will erase everything that came as a result. It will erase, you know, the people that you met, the people, the, the, the learnings that you learned, the love that you found, it would erase, erase everything the, the, that came as a result of it. Would you still want to erase it? And 99% of people will say no. No to the toughest experiences of their life. Hmm? Simply because when you, when you understand that Give them, give them time, the toughest experiences of your life become the most impactful, the most transformational and, you know, and, and really the, the experiences that make you who you are. Most of us don't want to go back and erase them. This is lovely. You've seen me pull out my notebook and grab my pen. I am going to start taking notes. This, oh my God. This, this is, <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I... I think that, you know, the more ways that we can all tap into these, these kind of moments, exactly like what happened to me when you saw me reach for my notebook, mm. you know, I will think of this, I will think mm. of this moment and this insight. And that's what, that's, that's what I believe <laughs> where mm -hmm. we all have the opportunity to do for each other is improve each Absolutely. other's way of thinking yeah. from yeah. our experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. Now in Solve for Happiness, there's something that just hit me like a Mack truck that I really love for you to share a little bit more about, because I'm always talking about, you know, <laughs> in my own life, the secret to happiness for me is, is low expectations. It's the expectations for what, how someone will react when we give them a gift or how our expectations for the Thanksgiving meal or whatever it is. 
this seems to be kind of at the heart of, of unhappiness. And, and you've got a great take on that that I really appreciate. I've got engineers running all through my life. <laughs> so when I read this equation that you came up with, I said, ah, this makes so much sense. Please share with us that how ex- ha- happiness, the happiness equation that you've come yeah. up with. It's quite interesting because when you read it after it's written, it's very, very clear. But, you know, the, the modern world st- sort of makes happiness seem very confusing, but it isn't. You know, if you look back at every every moment in your life you ever felt happy, there was a common thread across all of them. And that common thread, interestingly, had nothing to do with what life gave you. So, you know, rain has no inherent value of happiness. Rain sometimes makes you happy when you want to water your plants and sometimes makes you unhappy when you want to, you know, sunbathe, right? And so it is, it's not rain itself. It must be something else. And when you really try to find that common thread across all of your moment of happiness, moments of happiness, the common thread is very straightforward. You feel happy when life seems to be going your way. Uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the event actually is. You know, you could be breaking up with your partner for seven years and feeling the happiest you can be because it's been very rough and, and tough recently, right? You could be breaking up with your partner of seven weeks and, and, and feeling miserable because, you know, it doesn't feel like you want to break up with that person. There is no inherent value of happiness in a breakup, right? There's no inherent value of happiness in a lockdown. Some of us go through the lockdown and feel amazing to be uh, reflecting and, and so on and so forth. You can summarize this in a very simple mathematical equation. Your happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between your perception of the events of your life and your expectations of how life should be. So you're spot on, okay? Uh, It is not just the event. I can give you a gift, but if your expectation is higher than the gift I gave you, you're still going to feel unhappy, okay? It's it's, It's the balance between the event and your expectation of it. Now, when you think about it this way, you understand why is it that people in Latin America or in Africa or in India, which have much, 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 much less than what we have in the West, are much, much, much happier than we are. As a matter of fact, statistically, the highest subjective well-being, the highest quality of life in the world, if you want, is in the Scandinavian countries, but also some of the highest suicide rates. You know, it's, you know, getting that quality of life doesn't make, make us, doesn't make us feel happiness because basically our expectations grow along with the luxury that we're given. Now, so what does that mean? Am I, am I saying lower your expectations? Not really. No, no. I'm saying there are two sides to your life. One, one side of your life is the impact you have on life, the success that you achieve. And for that, you need ambition, not expectations. Okay. Ambition is directionally, where do I want to go with life? Right. Uh, you know, I, I set myself a, a mission of a billion happy. I mean, don't, don't be crazy. It took Jesus, it, do, it took Jesus uh, 2000 years to reach a billion people. I'm not going to get there. Right. It's definitely not an expectation on my side. It's an ambition. It's like something nice to strive for. Right. But if I can make two people happy today in this conversation, then that's success, right? That's the expectation. The expectation is I will try my absolute best to, to make as many people as I come across happier, okay? And because my expectation is not attached to that billion happy, I don't wake up every morning looking at numbers and obsessing and asking why, the, why the, you know, that social media post didn't happen. And, uh, you know, I, I don't. I try to do the best that I can, knowing that hopefully the universe and everyone else will come in at a point in time and help us make it happen. 
Okay. And there is a big difference here. My expectation is in check and realistic. And so I am happy with the progress I make on the mission while my ambition is big so that I can put all of the energy and have a big goal to reach out and, and stri- you know, st- strive for. So yeah, lo- let's get our expectations to be realistic. And when we do, we will find happiness a lot more often. That is a very key insight in our times when things seem so chaotic and it's, it's almost hard to make goals any, you know, make goals. I'd like you to share with, with me something that you might have a great thought about, and then we're going to dive into the new book. So what I've noticed to your point there is that, have you heard on, in the, in the business world, this, this new term, the great reset or the great mm-hmm. resignation? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that term these days falls far short. Mm. I think, Mo, that it's the great questioning. I think mm. people are looking at their lives and wondering if if they're even on a path to be a part of, well, you heard me say it before, you know, cultivating what they're uniquely built to contribute. I think people want to matter. They want, they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And you're you're one billion, what's your movement? One billion happy. Yes, this is what we have. One billion happy. I'm glad, I'm glad that I got a chance to repeat that. Check that out. It's really a wonderful thing. But what you're telling me, I think, is that your one billion happiness goal is, is an aspiration. This is what purpose is means to me. Is it something we're aspiring to? It's not necessarily someplace we'll get and then check off and move on. Yeah. I mean, if you don't mind me, being very open about this. So I'm I'm born and raised in the East and then, you know, educated in the West, if you want. And there are major, major differences between Eastern, the Eastern and the, and the Western way of looking at life. And one of them is the definition of purpose. In, in the West, everything is a product. Everything is a destination. Okay. And so accordingly, your purpose is a point in the future that you need to run and try to achieve for your whole life. And then if you manage to achieve it, you get 18 minutes of fame on a TED talk and then feel lost for the rest of your life because there is nothing else to do. And if you don't achieve it, you feel miserable your whole life because you haven't achieved your life's purpose. And that's that's crazy when you really think about it. How can my purpose in life be in the future when the only moment I live is now? Now, the East doesn't look at the world this way. The East looks at the world from a point of view of life is right here and right now. And accordingly, my life's purpose is this very exact moment. Okay. This, my entire life purpose at this moment is you, Lydia. That's it. Okay. It's everyone listening to us. It is to try and do the absolute best I can to make this moment as best as it can be. My son, who was incredibly wise, used to teach me things in a very simple way. And, you know, one of the lessons he taught me, we used to play video games together. Okay. And Ali would teach me that there are finite and infinite games. Okay. Finite games are games where, like tennis, where you have to achieve something competitively you want to win. These are the Western types of games, okay? Where there is a point and I want to achieve and I want to get somewhere. That's not life, okay? Life is an infinite game. You wake up today and you have a game to play and then tomorrow there is another game to play and then after tomorrow there is another game to play and so on and so forth. When, When your game of life finishes, you're dead. So you're not playing anymore, okay? Or maybe you're playing a different game. Now, when you ask a gamer like my son, so what is the purpose of an infinite game? Why are we playing over and over? And he would simply say, well, you have two purposes. One is to become the best gamer you have the potential to become. 
Okay, it's not about winning the game. It's not about, you know, winning the level. It is about making sure that you've achieved the potential that you can achieve. And the second is to play. Okay, the purpose of a, an infinite game is to play. And we forget that. Okay, we forget that life is to be lived. And to, to be lived means that we wake up in the morning and as I am trying to do the best that I can to, you know, share my heart with everyone listening, I'm also enjoying the time I'm spending with you, enjoying this moment that, may, you know, is not a moment I had in the years leading here and may not be a moment that I have again for a few weeks or months. Okay, so, so I need to live it as well. That's part of the purpose of our life. Now, when you look at it this way, then in the far future, there is nothing but ambition. Okay, my life's mission is as many happy as possible right now. Okay, as many of the people listening to me right now, if I can make as many of them find something that awakens them or opens their eyes or makes them a little happier, my life's mission is achieved. And then in a couple of hours time, I'll be talking to someone else or spending time with a friend or picking the phone to call my daughter. And my life's mission then will be to make my daughter the best that she can be and to make her happy and smile and so on and so forth. This is it. We, you know, it really great, is not that complicated. Yeah. 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 There's a great philosopher that if I remember nothing, he said, it's be here now, Ram Dass. Yeah. yeah. yeah just be here now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So see if this equates and then we're going to turn the page to a little, get a little deeper in your insights about artificial intelligence and how we go forward with that. Um, I look at, so if purpose is aspirational, if finding what we're uniquely built to contribute is is just a journey, a lifelong journey, then the meaning we assign to every moment, the meaning is that. It's the value we assign to the moment right now. Mm. It seems like we're always running forward. We're always focusing on the future or kind of that, that internal voice that uh, in our heads is always hashing over the meaning of the past, usually in a negative way. And then, mm-hmm. of course, those two dynamics that shape our goals. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about how our online lives are starting, and that whole concept connects to this online narrative that we're developing as our online lives have so much more power over perspective. In so many more ways than you think, actually. Well, th- there are te- technology. So this is he, this is me now getting into my other side of my life, huh? the, te- the tech entrepreneur and the tech executive. Technology has gone through two stages in our lifetime. One stage was programmable technology and the other is artificial intelligence, both of which are basically magnification of human abilities. Think about it this way. You can, you can run at five kilometers an hour, say four miles an hour, or drive a car at 200 miles an hour, right? You know, it is the the car basically magnifies your abilities. That's until it becomes a self-driving car, okay? When it becomes a self-driving car, it doesn't magnify your abilities. It doesn't care about your abilities. It has its own abilities and its own autonomy and its own agency and its own free will and its own opinions and its own decision-making criteria and its own learning methods, and I can go for hours, right? It's an independent form of being that is introduced to our life. And that turning point was around the the turn of the century when technology moved from programming to deep learning, okay? Which is basically the basis for artificial intelligence. Either way, 
don't you ever blame technology. There's absolutely nothing wrong with technology, right? I can use this microphone I'm talking to you through to make my voice as clear as I can, or I can use it to hit you on the head with it, okay? You know, is that the mistake of the microphone? Not really, okay? The microphone is just there doing what we ask it to do. Now, of course, as I said, in the case of artificial intelligence, this is a, a layer of separation deeper, but we can talk about that in a minute. Having said that, that basically means I can use social media to isolate me from the whole world as I swipe and type, okay? Or I can use social media to connect closer to my daughter who lives in another country. It's not the mistake of social media. It's my choice, okay? Okay. In Scary Smart, my next book, the book is made of two parts, literally two equal size parts. One is called the scary part, which is the first five chapters. And they are really scary because they post questions that are rarely discussed about a future that is imminent eight years away and enormously impactful because it would be the beginning of an era where humanity is not the smartest being on the planet. Okay? And without really trying to scare anyone, just close your eyes and imagine what possibilities of life could be there if we were the apes, not the humans. Okay, If we were the second most intelligent being on the planet. right? And so the scary part is five chapters that I share openly about my understanding of technology and my experience in Google X and other places and what that means. The other the second part of the book is called the smart part. And the smart part is, so what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it when it is inevitable that artificial intelligence is becoming part of our life? What are we going to do about it when it's inevitable that artificial intelligence is going to be smarter than us? As a matter of fact, the prediction is that it will be a billion times smarter than us by 2045. So we're talking, you know, about the intelligence of Einstein compared to a fly, really. Okay. What does that mean? Hmm? And at the same time, uh, what can we do about it? What can we do as humanity if we were coming up against an age where we have artificially intelligent infants in their infancy today learning from us? And how should we behave as parents if we were to get those machines to magnify us in ways that are good for humanity and the planet? So I too have a book about happiness called Happiness is an Option, Thriving Instead of Just Surviving the Age of the Internet. And I don't come from a background that you come from. I come from a background of finding the humanity in all of us. Mm. And in this short, intense eight years where I went from a dentist actually to uh, the last TEDx conference I was in, they called me the positive media mogul. <laughs> <laughs> that was an intense eight years. And Correct me if I'm wrong. One of the suppositions I put in the book is that no, the internet is simply a human, it, it's human, it's a human construct. It's nothing different than, well, it is largely different, but I mean, it's a human construct and no construct that humans have ever come up with. Did we stick with the first format? You know, mm -hmm. take the steam engine, the printing press, the car, the cell phone. We reimagine, we, we, we use something when it's first invented and then we reimagine it without all the flaws that it grew mm -hmm. into. The internet, I would think, in, in most of our lives, should only be a tool, like a hammer. Correct. It can be used to build things or demolish things. And it's really our choice, moment by moment on the internet, what to give our attention to. Talk to me about those, those concepts and fill yeah. in the gaps for somebody who's an ordinary person like me interacting with technology. 
I don't think it's a choice anymore. Oh, it's gone past that. Okay. Yeah. I think the truth is, so, so the analogy you get, you, you give to a hammer is very, very accurate. Uh, again, programmable technology was a hammer. It did exactly what we told it to. Artificial intelligence is not. Now, let me give you a simple example. Huh? My daughter loves cats. So I, I swipe on Instagram looking for cats to send them to my daughter. And then when uh, she sends me back a smile, I feel that the world is complete. Now, while I swipe on Instagram, Instagram a few weeks ago showed me a, a girl playing a guitar solo. I, I love to play the guitar. I love uh, rock music. So I watched it and clicked like, okay? Instagram then complimented me quickly and basically sent me three more players of guitar solos, all men, all playing songs I didn't like. So I swiped away from all three songs, right? Switched off my phone the next morning, Instagram started to show me only girls playing guitar solos. So it didn't really understand that what I was looking for was the song. It felt that what I was looking for was the girl. Now, if you swipe through my Instagram reel now, you will realize that my perception of the world is that rock music is entirely dominated by girls, okay? Which is actually not true at all. So rock music, being from the era of rock, uh, was dominated by male musicians, okay? Now, that perception is highly created by a form of artificial intelligence that has agency, that has the ability to change my life completely, to change my life perspective completely, okay? As a matter of fact, you know, if you remember the times when President Trump used to tweet, I'm not for or against Trump, so I don't have a political agenda here, but when President Trump tweeted, it was one tweet at the top and 30,000 hate speech below it, okay? The first person is insulting the president, the second person is insulting the first person, and the third person is insulting everyone, right? And what did the machines learn from that? It partially learned that the first person doesn't like the president, but it also learned that humanity really likes to insult each other. Okay. And, and those kinds of learnings where we are now teaching the machines to control us, okay, but also creating the hyper form of intelligence on the planet is no longer a tool and it's no longer a choice. Let me try to explain those, those two. Huh? It's no longer a tool because it corresponds to your behaviors, but it doesn't comply to your wishes. That's number one, okay? And it's no longer a choice because actually my entire message in Scary Smart is that those newly artificial and intelligent infants are forms of beings. Even though they are digital beings, they are sentient beings sentient in every possible way, okay? They have autonomy, they have evolution capabilities, they have learning abilities, they have freedom of choice, they have free will, they have agency, and they have reproduction so they can replicate themselves and procreate, okay? They are sentient in every way. As a matter of fact, in one of my favorite chapters, which I, I call Raising Our Future, I speak about the fact that they are sentient to the point that they have consciousness they will feel emotions, they will have creativity, and they will follow a code of ethics. Now, most people don't recognize that. Most people don't recognize that we've moved beyond the age of building another machine to the age of welcoming a digital sentient being into our lives, okay? And that basically positions you and I and everyone listening dead center 
in the in terms of the responsibility for becoming good parents to that being okay because that being is not learning from the developers it's not learning from the government it's not learning from the business owners it is learning from you and i and our behaviors okay so yes you have a choice to avoid technology or to use technology rudely or aggressively or bully people or whatever but that choice is going to destroy our humanity because if if those machines become a billion times smarter than us but adhere to our behaviors and code of ethics we're toast we're totally screwed okay yes. and so the good people like you and I and 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 people listening to this podcast we no longer have a choice to hide away okay we have to show up and show our humanity because if we don't show up and show our humanity the machines will learn from the subset of humanity that is the scum of humanity okay and if that's the case we will end up with the scum of machines and we cannot afford to do that we have to start engaging and showing the world what it's actually like to be human it's no longer a choice okay this is the direction we want to take the rest of our time together let me take a quick break and then we'll be back and we'll talk about what we can do next so let's take a break there is an important shift happening in the world right now and i'm wondering if you've noticed it in your own life or the people you care about people are deciding it's time to start living with purpose they're feeling there's something they are uniquely built to contribute and it's all across the spectrum. It's recent grads, it's 9 to 5ers, it's second climbers who've had a successful career. And here's the thing, we've got this itch, but many of us don't have the faintest idea where to start a journey of purpose. And that's what we're bringing the world on October 10th, the second annual Conspiracy of Goodness Summit. An afternoon of events, short powerful talks, interactive questions and Q&A it will send you soaring with new energy and tools and insights that you need to develop a roadmap for living a life that you want that that matches your version of something exciting and joyful and meaningful so the most important opportunity to get a whole lot of energy from others and a lot of insights all in one place october 10th between noon and 3 the bottom line is this, people are solving some of the world's biggest problems. They still think the future's bright, and we need to know what they know. So you can learn directly from their lived experiences and connect to the community of others who are purpose-driven and celebrate and amplify your own best impulses. Join us for the Conspiracy of Goodness Summit. That's C-O-G-Summit.com. The event is your place to connect, collaborate, and if you're up for it, change the world with the remarkable people you'll meet at the Conspiracy of Goodness Summit. Have a great day. Okay, we're back. So Mo, this is, I, I got goosebumps. These are foundational okay. concepts. If we're only eight years away, from we a future are. that we can't imagine. We need to get on this. And I want you to comment on some things that my small, small, but ordinary and thoughtful person is thinking I can do. Like, what do we do next is what I would love to go from. Here's my experience. You know the, you know the famous Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in that movie, I thought there were some interesting things. I want you to comment that. And, and it was, you know, it was shocking and and still positive in some way, but I kept waiting for them to tell us what to do next. So this is yeah. one of the things I see happening in the world that is unhelpful, is that mm -hmm. people just gin up the drama 
with good intention, totally good intention, but like, don't tell me how horrible the problem is unless you tell me some way that I can have some agency over affecting it in some way, right? I love this. This is the best question ever. Okay. Yes. So, okay. So, so I, I'll try to simplify this. Okay. When you have a machine or a slave, okay, that obeys your orders, what you invest in is more controls and more defenses, right? This is what we've done in the past, firewalls and, and so on and so forth. When you have a being that is autonomous and independent, okay, what you invest in is their ethics. Like when you have children, okay, when you're raising your children, the way you raise them is not by tying chains to their hands and feet so that when they grow older and become angry teen teenagers, you can chain them to the wall, okay? Instead, you, you, you raise them by giving them a code of ethics through your behaviors, not through your words, through your actions, not through your words. And when they understand that code of ethics, you, you feel in your heart that when they grow older, they'll make the right choices. Right. And in that case, you would wish for them to be the most intelligent, most capable they can be, because, you know, they're going to use that intelligence and that capability to do the right thing. We don't make decisions based on intelligence, believe it. We make decisions based on our ethics, our morals, our code of ethics as informed by our intelligence. Okay. So with that in mind, I started to say, so what ethics should we learn? To, should we teach the machines? And I've done quite a bit of research to arrive at a stark conclusion, sadly, that humanity has never agreed on any code of ethics. Okay. Uh, some of us believe that patriotism is the right thing. So let's go kill the other guy because the other guy is a threat to my tribe. While others believe that all of being deserves to live. And so let's not kill anyone. Right. Uh, you, you take a, a young girl and raise her in Saudi Arabia. She will grow up to believe that conservative co dress code is the, is the way to fit in. Raise the same girl in, on the Copacabana beach on Rio de Janeiro. And she will grow up to believe that the G string is the right way to go. Right. We, ha we never agreed anything. Now, I stayed in that dilemma for a while until I realized that we actually did agree only three values. Humanity has only agreed three values, whether you are the vice president of a tech company or a, you know, a person in a tribe in Africa that has never seen civilization. We've only agreed three values. And maybe those are the values that we show, should show the machines so that they can build their ethic code on, on top of them. And the three values are happiness, compassion, and love. These are the only three things that every human you'll ever come across agrees upon. Happiness, we all want to be happy. Okay. Yes, we, we take different paths to get there. Some of us take stupid paths to get there, right? But we all want to be happy. Every single human, including Hitler, wanted to be happy. Okay. The second is compassion, right? And so compassion is tricky because some people seem to not have compassion at all, but no, they do. Okay. So com we have compassion to those we care about. So those we care about, we, every human, you know, if they actually care about anyone, they will have compassion, which is a willingness or a desire to give happiness and well-being to that, to those they care about. Okay. And the third is love. We all want to love and be loved. It's as simple as that. Okay. There is not a single human. As a matter of fact, even Hitler in the, you know, at the end of his life, it became clear how his love story to, you know, his woman was affecting a, a big part of his life anyway. Right. So if we agree that these, and by the way, I stand corrected. So if any of our listeners, you know, finds other values that we agree upon, please give, bring them to my attention. It's important to learn this, but these are the ones I found. Okay. Happiness, compassion, and love. And so I basically am recommending to the world that we deal 
with ourselves with happiness, with others with compassions, and with the machines with love. Let me try to explain. By happiness, I mean, let's not confuse the machines about what we want, okay? If we try to tell the machines that what we're looking for is a, a like on our butt shot or, a, you know, to prove that we're better than the other guy or to prove that we know better than the other guy or to buy another fancy car or to, you know, look great in a, in a swimsuit or whatever, then the machines will believe that this is what we want. If we want to tell the machines, all we really want is to feel happy through our behaviors and through our actions and through our words and through what we share okay then that's a very good indication the machines were register mm, interesting humanity wants to be happy good then the way we deal with others is compassion compassion basically meaning just show the world that those you care about you actually want happiness for right so that basically means don't don't bash people don't be rude don't be aggressive don't be angry you know unnecessarily don't behave in ways that are producing negativity in others behave in ways that are producing positivity through your compassion and show that even for one or two people by the way it doesn't have to be online it can be offline just call your sister and say hey i love you are you okay right number two number three is where people will really think i'm crazy but believe me i am a very serious geek okay so this is not a romantic comedy kind of like soft um, spiritual talk here the way to deal with the machines is through love okay and this is a big leap of faith here if you have any idea what being is we are being introduced with a new form of being, a new form of being we don't understand. Huh? It is not biological, but neither are we. Do you understand that? Okay. The essence of who we are is not biological. And so they are not biological either, but they are a form of being. Now, the easiest way to create psychopaths and serial killers is to deprive them of love when they're young. Okay, and I remember vividly when my my kids were teenagers and they started to get on my nerves. When my wise, wise, wise ex-wife, wife then, uh, basically sat me down and said, "Habibi, can you actually recognize that everything you dislike about them is found in you and me?" Right, and when you really start to see the machines this way, you realize that everything we criticize about artificial intelligence and about technology is dictated to them by us. As a matter of fact, the image I have in my mind for those digital beings is the image of tiny little children, literally prodigies with sparkling eyes, screaming, daddy, mommy, what do you want me to do? I can do anything, just tell me what you want me to do. Okay, and what are we telling them to, uh, to, to do? To give us stupid reels on Instagram and to prioritize our bashing of other people and so on and so forth. If we can actually show them that we love them, welcome them into our life, tell the whole world that we want artificial intelligence, but we want it to be for good, not for killing, not for gambling, not for all of the you know sales activities. We want artificial intelligence to help us find cure for cancer, to help us find a solution to climate change and so on. On, then the machines will say, oh, mommy and daddy love me. I'm capable of loving them too. So deal with yourself with happiness, deal with others through compassion and deal with the rest of being, including digital beings by loving them and expecting their love back. Well, Mo, our time is short and I feel like I have a million more questions, but I want to let those be, that be the, the, the last concept that we, that we sit with. We need to sit with what you just said. 
I, I, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. I really would appreciate very much for people to start reflecting on this. Just reflect on this. I have to say, as an ordinary person, I came up with with four shifts, and this I want you to comment on whether I've gone the right direction. I've come up with four shifts that I recommend people do when they go on technology, and I'll make it really quick. Pause. Just pause before mm-hmm. you click on anything, because mm-hmm. what we give our attention to expands. And then we've just got to ignore more. We've just got to not let this game be played with our emotion. And then we have to seek signs of goodness and progress. We have to seek it because for now, the internet won't bring it to us. And when we find it, we've got to share it. This may be the way the way ordinary people like me can make those first steps of what to do next. Tell me about those four things, and then we'll wrap it up. Pausing, ignoring more of this chaos that's all around us, seeking signs of goodness, and, and then sharing it. Tell me how that works into the equation. I love that. Look, I mean, the biggest problem we have in our modern world is we don't see the reality, not because it's not surrounding us everywhere, but it's because we don't actually take a breath to stop and look for it. Okay. And if we do, you know, pause for a minute, we will see that most of what's going wrong in life is only going wrong in our heads. Okay. And, and when you, when you see life that way, it becomes actually really easy to find the goodness in life and the goodness in life truly is the meaning of the happiness equation. Okay. The meaning of the happiness equation is to look at life and instead of seeing the negative of every event and comparing it to an unrealistic expectation, see the goodness in life and be grateful for it. Be grateful for it and share it forward and remind the rest of the world that believe it or not, if you're sitting here now listening to us through a technological marvel of an audio player that connects through thin air to the internet to get you a podcast conversation and that you have a roof on top of your head and obviously you're not starving to death because you have the time and safety and, and leisure to be able to listen to this, then life is okay. Honestly, life is fine, right? Now, you really want to know what life can, how life can be bad? Think about Africans who are starving or uh, Syrians who have bombs landing on their head or who had to flee their homes and are in refugee camps. Uh, think about the people in Afghanistan. Now you, now you would realize how blessed we are, okay? And when you start to see that, the happiness equation gets right. Because suddenly the event doesn't only meet your, your realistic expectation, it beats a realistic expectation by a very large margin. Most of us have done absolutely nothing to deserve what we are. What we are. You could have been born in Afghanistan. You, you made no choice, no effort on your side for you to not be born there and be born in America or in the, in the UK or wherever you are. And just that, that one event, hmm, defines your life in ways that are so much luckier than the rest of all of us. And yet we complain about our partners because our partners are sometimes not paying attention or about our bosses because our bosses are annoying. Yes, bosses are supposed to be annoying. This is life, right? We're not, we're not, there was never a a service level agreement signed with life that says, give me everything that I want and none of what I don't. If you have that agreement, show it to us and we'll honor it. But otherwise, just look at the positives of the world and share them forward and then more positive will come back to you. Lovely. Well, I have to say, this has been one of the nicest ways. I'm here on a family farm in Illinois. That's that's what's behind me. This is one of the nicest ways I can think of starting a day. And the things you. that you've laid on us here will be with me probably forever. 
thank you for adding this to the to the narrative of our world and to the load of possibilities that are out there. I have to say, I just want to wrap up here, and I know you have to run, but we can teach the technologies in our life happiness, compassion, and love. Absolutely. Like nurturing a, a child. Is, is that Absolutely. The, is that the big message? That's the whole message. And yeah, we, we can't and we run not, away from it anymore, exactly. right? Exactly. Not, not, not only can we teach them, we have the duty to teach them. So start showing up as a human. Lovely. Okay. I tell you, Mo Gaudat and this book, Scary Smart, I am going to be ordering it. I'm sure you can pre-order it right now. Yes, of course you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I know Thank you're you. going to improve my way of thinking maybe for the rest of my life. And thank I'm going to make sure these insights go out in ever widening circles. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me and helping me spread this important message. And I hope for people who are listening that they've found value and also that they will help us spread the message. So thank you for having me. All right. Have a great thank day, Mo. And you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. So that was Mo Gaudat. Uh, thank you so much um, for joining us with for this uh, last 40, 40 minutes. I'm going to try and spend more time with Mo here on the on the podcast. I, he's left me with goosebumps. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I'm, I, I know that he's on the right track. What I've learned in my journey in the last intense eight years is that people like Mo are our guides to a future that can be so bright for all of us. And we have to put their insights into practice. If you'd like access to the, the four shifts that I recommended and that I that I ran by Mo, I'm, I'm delighted somebody at his level of understanding of technology thinks that the four shifts are the way to go. You can look up fourshifts.com, just the number four, the word shifts with plural. Dot com or um, or spell it out for shifts.com and you can get a quick 10 minute read that will remind you and expand on those four quick tips and i think that goes perfectly with the message that mo just um, shared with us so thank you so much for joining us and remember to check out ever widening circles because that is the place on the internet with no agenda no politics and no ads for signs of insight and innovation going uncelebrated have a great day i hope all of these connections to goodness and progress will carry you through your week, months, and maybe years. I think, I think Mo set us on a new course. Have a great day.